Um, if you're going to go to a home basketball game and you're planning to go there and to cheer and to put your heart into the game, but you go and you wear a t-shirt supporting the opposing team, it's probably not going to be wise for you to go and sit on the home side. Because if you're sitting on the home side and you're wearing that t-shirt for the opposing team, and then when the opposing team is doing really well, you begin to cheer and holler, yeah, way to go. There's probably going to be some trouble. Somebody sitting there beside you is going to say, hey, why don't you get up and go to the other side? Someone's going to invite you to find a new seat. Why? Well, because it's obvious the team that you're supporting. It's clear. Well, how can you tell what team you support? Well, the, the baseball cap that you wear or the jersey that you wear, the shirt that you wear, those things reveal who you support. Or when you're cheering, at what point in the game you're, you're clapping or cheering, it becomes obvious who you support. But what about spiritually? How can we tell what team we're on, in a sense, when it, when it comes to, to spiritual issues? How does it become clear, to, to boil it down, that we actually belong to God? What, what makes that clear? Those are the questions we're going to be thinking about together as we look at Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. You'll remember that the Apostle Paul wrote the, the book of Philippians. I, I said Colossians, didn't I? Pardon me. Philippians. Let me get on the right track here. Okay. Everybody's looking at me like, what is this? Yeah, we're in Philippians. So the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians to the church at Philippi. Believers there who were a part of the church at Philippi, he wrote to encourage them to be faithful, to remain faithful. Let's pick up in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. This text teaches that you should conduct yourself in such a way that it is clear whose team you're on. You should conduct yourself in such a way that it's clear whose team you're on. But how do we do that? How do we conduct ourselves in a way that it's clear that, that we're on God's team, that we belong to him? Well, let's look in verse 27. Paul begins by saying just one thing. So what is he saying? He's saying to the church at Philippi, if you miss everything else that I've said, make sure you get this. I want you to tune in and, and to see what I'm saying. As citizens of heaven, live your lives worthy of the gospel. Now the verb here that, that's uh, referencing live your lives in a certain way. Basically, it, it's kind of an odd verb that, that isn't used frequently in the New Testament. Paul doesn't, doesn't use it in other places, really. He, he basically is saying here, not just live your life in a certain way, but live according to what's required as a member uh, of this state or of uh, a member of uh, this city. So he's referencing here to living faithfully in light of your civic responsibilities. Well, now, these Philippians were, of course, Roman citizens, and that meant something. You know, if you're from the best state, if you're from Texas, then you take pride in that, right? If, if you're from Texas, you say, you know what, 
I'm from Texas, and, and you're proud. And, and that's what would happen here. These, these folks were from Philippi, and Philippi was a leading city. They were, they were Roman citizens. They understood the blessings of being a part of, of a, uh, a great city with, with a proud uh, heritage. And so Paul was appealing to this understanding that they have as members of, of uh, Philippi, as members of, uh, the Ro- of, of being Roman citizens. And he's appealing to them in, in that regard, saying, you, you understand what it means to be a citizen and you have privileges, but not just privileges, you also have certain responsibilities. So here Paul says, you're not just members of Philippi or of the Roman Empire, you are citizens of heaven. You're citizens of heaven. And so live in such a way that your citizenship is clear. Live in such a way that, that your life reveals the worthiness of the gospel, the greatness of the truth of the gospel. And so, in verse 27, he continues, that way, if I get to come to you or if I don't, I'm going to hear about how faithful you've been. Now, remember the apostle Paul is, is in prison at this point, and he hopes to go and minister to the Philippians. He hopes to go and see them. We see that in the preceding verses. He expected to, but he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to get out of prison. He wasn't sure what the future held. And so Paul says to them, if I get to come and see you, great, but if I don't get out of prison and I stay here, then let me hear how you are living as faithful citizens of heaven. Let me hear how you are living as a part of God's team. Now he's going to answer the question, what does it mean to live as a faithful citizen of heaven? Or what does it mean to live in a way that it's obvious that you're on God's team? And he says it right here in verse 27. He says, by standing firm in one spirit. By standing firm in one spirit. So what does it mean to to live or to conduct your life in such a way that your allegiance is clear? It means that you're going to stand firm with other believers. You are going to be committed to walking alongside others and, and being firm in your faith. Notice that he says of one accord. So he's saying of one mind, of one heart. Be joined with other believers and have one mind, one heart. And he continues on, and he kind of explains what it means to stand firm. He says standing firm with one accord means that you contend together for the gospel. This is an athletic word. It means to fight side by side. So so Paul is saying to the church of Philippi, I want you to to get with some other believers, with the other people who are part of the church at Philippi, and I want you guys to fight side by side for the faith of the gospel. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to be faithful in standing for the truths of the word. I want you to be faithful in standing for for the faith of the gospel, which means those central truths of Christianity, the gospel itself, the, the truthfulness of scripture, the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he died, that he rose again that he's coming back. Paul says, I want you to stand and fight for those things together with one mind, with one spirit. I want you to see that that Paul fully expects that the people who are a part of the church at Philippi are in. They're in the game. They're in the action. He says, contend together for the sake of the gospel. And then he also explains what he means by stand firm. It's not just contending together for the gospel. What we see in verse 28, it's... How do you stand firm? By not 
being frightened by your, by your opposers or by those who would be against you. The, the word here for frightened has, is a picture of uh, a bunch of horses that have just been spooked and sort of take off. That, that's where this word comes from that it's used for frightened. So in a sense, Paul is saying, if you're going to stand firm, you can't be frightened off when people stand against you. You, you, can't, you can't be spooked off. There are going to be people who oppose you. There are going to be people who, who do not like the fact that you're a believer and that you're committed to Christ. And they're going to try to push you and to, to bully you in a sense. And Paul says you can't be frightened by that. You can't let those who oppose you knock you down. He says, in fact, that when you stand firm, it becomes a sign of two things. It becomes a sign that one day they're going to face judgment. They're going to stand before God and face judgment for the fact that they rejected his son, Jesus Christ. But also it's going to serve as a sign of your salvation. So when we stand firm in the face of opposition, that's proof of our salvation. That's proof that we really know the Lord, that, that, that we genuinely belong to him. And then Paul reminds us, as he so often does in his writings, that our salvation is a gift from God. We can't earn our salvation by being good. Our being saved is from God. That's what Paul says quite clearly. So as we ask the question, how do we conduct ourselves in a way that reveals whose team we're on? Well, we see it answered in verses 27 and 28. Live in such a way that it's obvious whose team you're on by standing firm with other believers. By standing firm with other believers. When I was in college, I can remember going to a retreat and we were doing some team building activities. Some of you have maybe have done some of those and, and I remember they had us at one point, they had a, a fellow lay on the floor flat and he was a pretty big guy. And they, there were, I don't know, probably eight or nine of us and they had us gather around him and just with the palms of our hand, we would we'd put our hands right under him and on the count of three, we just lifted him up. And it was crazy because just with a little bit of effort, we could lift this guy up off of the ground. And they were trying to illustrate something to us, and that was the importance of working together as a team, that, that as a team you can do together what you couldn't do alone. And what we see here in Paul is he is saying that if we're going to live as faithful citizens of heaven, it will not be when we live alone. It will be when we have put ourselves out in the game with fellow believers and we're working together to accomplish that which God has called us to do. It won't be when we're trying to go out and and be a lone ranger. So let's think about how this looks in our lives. Have you joined a faith family? In other words, have you, like these Philippians had, had become a part of a church? Have you put your life into a a faith family, a place where where you're getting out there where you can fight side by side with other believers and contend for the gospel. There's a big difference between kind of being on the edge. I'm going to kind of just float around. I'm just going to kind of stay and let's see what happens. I'll be on the outskirts. There's a big difference between that and saying, you know what, I'm jumping in. And what we see in the Philippians What Paul wrote to the Philippians is that Paul fully expected that believers are going to jump in. And that's going to be one of the evidences that that we are on God's team. 
because we're working together with fellow believers. It's also important to note that when we are working with other believers, when we stumble and fall, there's somebody there to lift us up. There's somebody there to, to, to help us. So have you put your life in, in, a, in a church family? I mean, like, really, you've vested your life in a, in a faith family. Next, do you work to maintain unity within the church? Sometimes in a church, we can. It's just a result of our own natural sinfulness. All of us are sinners and all of us head in the wrong directions at times. Do you work to foster unity in the church? Because that's, that's what we see Paul emphasizing here. This is all a part of the way that we live out our calling as a, as a citizen of heaven or as being on God's team. Do you, do you work to try to help the church be unified or do you kind of talk a little bit and kind of stir the pot if you can? Do you uh, focus on things that are secondary? Paul, Paul was saying here, that what we're contending for is the faith of the gospel. These are the core central truths of the Christian faith. We're, we're, we're working hard to, to guard the truths of Christianity, and we're working hard to spread the gospel. But in churches, division crops up when we make things that are not central, central. When we make things that are secondary or auxiliary, primary. So if we're going to work together with one spirit, it can't be about our personal preferences. Well, I like this and I like that, or I think it ought to be this, or I think it ought to be that. What do we need to rally around? The Bible says this. The Bible says that. We want to be committed to what Scripture teaches, and that's what we want to be unified around. Our preferences are going to be different. If we focus on preferences, we will not be unified. As you think through this issue of unity, do you encourage when maybe other believers are talking to you and they say, you know what, so-and-so hurt me, so-and-so did this and it upset me, do you say to, to your fellow believer, hey, why don't you work toward forgiving them? Don't hold on to that. Don't be bitter. Maybe you need to go and talk with them and just share with them what's on your heart. Do you, do you encourage that or do you just go, yeah, that's right, they shouldn't have done it. You, you see the difference. Well, if, if we're going to conduct ourselves as people who are on God's team... Well, then we need to be serious about the unity of our faith family. Next, I think it's really important to to ask the question, are you fighting along fellow brothers and sisters for the spread of the gospel? Are you contending together for the faith? You got your sleeves rolled up and you are giving it your all. Is, is Is that true in your life? Well, if we're going to, to show whose team we're on, clearly, from Paul's perspective, we must live out our heavenly citizenship. That means contending for the faith together with others. No lone rangers when it comes to the Christian faith. No lone rangers. So how do we make it clear whose team we're on? Well, Paul has told us that we're going to stand firm with other believers. But, but what else does Paul have to say about this? Look in verse 29. Paul says, for it has been granted you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So what is Paul saying here? Paul says it's been granted to you not only to believe in him. In other words, God's given you not only the gift of salvation, but God has given you the gift of suffering. Now that's a strange way to think about suffering, isn't it? It's not the way that we usually think about suffering. Typically, when we think about suffering, we think it's always bad. We think, oh, suffering's horrible. It couldn't be God's will for me. But what Paul's saying 
is that God's given you not only salvation, he's also given you, he's talking to the Philippians, he's given you suffering for, for him. So here, the specific focus is on the fact that they're suffering because of their faith. They're being per- persecuted because of their faith. But, but we know from a biblical perspective, when we widen the lens a bit and we begin to look at what Scripture says about all of suffering, that truly in the lives of believers, all of suffering is meant to have a redemptive purpose. God never wastes our suffering. Never. And so and Paul says to the Philippians here, it's been granted you to suffer. And he says, you are facing the same struggle that, that I have and that I'm now having. Well, what struggle was Paul facing? Well, he was in jail because of his faith. And Paul faced the opposition of the Jews because the Jews didn't appreciate the fact that he was preaching Jesus. He faced the opposition of the, the pagan religions because they didn't appreciate the fact that, that he was uh, preaching Jesus. So, so those who were Gentiles or non-Jews. So, so we don't know particularly what kind of opponent or opposition the Philippians were facing, but it was something similar to what Paul faced. And Paul says, when you face these difficulties and these hardships, recognize that in, that's a privilege. It's a privilege that you've been given. It's, it's something that, that God means for, for your good. Just like your salvation is for your good. This suffering, it's also meant for your good. So how do we conduct ourselves in such a way that it's clear we're on God's team? Well, we saw a moment ago that it was by standing firm with other believers. But next, you, you stand firm. These verses tell us, verses 29 and, and 30, how you make it clear whose team you're on when you receive suffering for your faith as a part of God's call. When you receive suffering for your faith as a part of God's call. In fact, Paul also said in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So if you want to walk with the Lord Jesus, you're going to face difficulty and hardship, persecution. Maybe you've seen Olympic rowing. If you've watched uh, the Summer Olympics, you, you see these, this team, they're in this boat, they're all wearing the same uniform, and they're rowing with all their hearts. And everything seems perfectly synchronized. And those boats are moving ahead. They've got uh, well over a mile to go to to win this thing. And when you look at at those guys rowing and, and, and giving their all, you see a picture of endurance. And they are, they are pushing, they are pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's difficult, but their, their hope is to win. Their hope is when it comes right down to it, they'll prevail. What Paul is saying here is that our suffering has a good purpose to it. For one, it reveals that we belong to him when we suffer with the right heart. It, it, it helps confirm our faith, but not only that, it helps shape our faith. It, it helps to, to, to mold our faith, to deepen our trust in the Lord when, when we don't become bitter in the face of suffering, but when we draw close to him. And so when you look at that team that's rowing there together and you recognize their endurance has a good purpose, friend, understand that your suffering does too. We, we don't understand it all, but God uses it. That's what Paul's saying to them. You're, you're going to suffer if you want to walk with Jesus. It's going to be tough at times. I also want to note when, when we think about the context or the mood of this passage is that suffering in the life of the believer is not supposed to happen alone. 
You know, as those guys are are rowing that boat, it'd be one thing if you're in the boat by yourself competing, but it's another thing when you're in a boat full of eight other or seven other guys. That's a different thing. It's a little easier to endure and to, to move forward and to push ahead and to push through the difficulty and the hardship when there's somebody there beside you. And as believers, that's exactly how we're meant to suffer. We're meant to suffer with people by our side who are with us who will encourage us and and push us on. So let's think about the implications in our lives. First, you will suffer if you live faithfully for Christ. You'll suffer if you live faithfully for Christ. That's a fact. Some of you teenagers may go home to parents who don't believe in the Lord and maybe they aggravate you or or, uh, make fun of you because you go to church. I've... I've talked with teenagers many times through the years who face the opposition of their family because of their faith. Not only that, maybe you have friends who go, oh, well, you're such a goody two-shoes, got to do the Christian thing. Yeah, if we walk with Jesus, we're, we're going to face those kinds of things. Those are small compared to what a lot of believers around the world face who give up their lives because of their faith. I can think of another example of uh, a Christian suffering in a sense. Maybe it's a more passive suffering, but, but it is in a sense. I, I've known singles who said, you know what, I really want to be married. I, I, feel, I feel that, that you know, that this, this is what God would have me do. I, I want to be married. But then the years go by and, and a, a person never seems to show up who really loves the Lord. And that single says, you know what, I'm waiting for the right person, the person who loves God with all his heart or with all her heart. And so that could be the kind of suffering that you have to face. That you're willing to say, I'll wait, God. I'd love to to be married, but I'll wait. You see, whatever the situation, if you're going to walk with God faithfully, you will suffer. Some will will suffer occupationally. In the state of Washington, for example, pharmacists are required to sell Plan B or the morning after pill. That's the, the pill that... Many believe can prevent a, a fertilized egg from, from implanting. And so there are some pharmacists who are believers who say, you know what, I can't sell that. And it's put um, those who own their own pharmacies or who don't have a lot of other pharmacists uh, uh, working, within, it's put them in a difficult situation. Because as believers, you want to walk with the Lord. And when you begin to look at the professional occupations, a lot of them are facing these kinds of pressures. You see, if we're going to walk with the Lord faithfully, we're going to suffer. We're going to struggle. Second, trust God as you suffer for Christ. Trust Him. You may not understand Him, but trust Him. If you belong to Him, He is always at work. He's always at work, even in your pain. And friends, he's at work most of the time. We can't see it, but he's at work in the greatest ways in our lives during our most intense pain. So through our struggles, instead of becoming bitter toward God, instead of pulling away from him, even though you don't understand, draw close to him. That's the counsel Paul would give us. We've got to receive suffering got to be willing to, to take that and to trust him with it, to trust him to work redemptively in our lives, to bring good out of the, the difficulty and the hardship, and to suffer and remain steadfast in your walk with God reveals that your faith is real. It reveals that you're on his team. To love him, even though 
It seems like it's a bitter pill after a bitter pill after a bitter pill when you keep holding on. Man, that, that says something about God and who he is in your life. It says to people, you know what? That person's citizenship is in heaven. He's looking for a better world. She's looking for a better world. God works through our pain for our good. Now, right now, the number of Philadelphia Eagle fans has probably tripled since this time last year. What, what do you think? The Eagles haven't had, they haven't had that good of a season in a while. Now, when a team is winning, we know what happens. Fair weather fans show up like crazy. And that's all right, but we know that the allegiance that they have is going to fade when the winning stops. Their allegiance is it's going gonna, it's gonna to evaporate when the winning stops. What about you when it comes to your faith and commitment to the Lord Jesus? Is it obvious whose team you're on? Is it clear that you love him? If people looked at your life, would they say, no doubt about it, citizenship is in heaven. That man is on God's team. That woman is on God's team. So live in such a way that it is obvious that you belong to God by standing firm with other believers, by trusting him in the midst of your suffering. So brothers and sisters, those of you who are here who know the Lord Jesus, ask the Lord to give you his help, to give you grace to help you live this kind of a life where you, where you do stand firm with other believers, where you do contend for the faith, where you're able to suffer and still hold on and trust. Ask him for help with that. We can't do that on our own. Some of you who are here today you're really not on God's team. It's not that you're necessarily openly trying to oppose him, but you just simply, you've never become his child. You've never turned to him in faith. Well, you know what? You don't get on God's team by trying to impress him, saying, oh, look, God, I did this and this and this and this. Hey, call me out. I'll be on your team. Pick me, pick me, pick me. You could never do that. You, you, can't, you can't get on God's team by trying out. You could never be good enough to get on God's team. Why? Because what keeps us from being on God's team, what keeps us from knowing and being in relationship with God is our sin. And every single one of us, even the best of us, is guilty of innumerable sin. And that sin keeps us from, from being on his team, keeps us from being in relationship with him. What did God do to make a way for us to be on his team? Well, he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came to this earth and he, he lived a perfect life. And when we turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus, then the credit for Jesus' perfect life kind of gets put to our account. And God looks down and says, you know what? Because Lonnie has trusted in my son, I look at him as spotless. Why? Because the life that Jesus lived, well, that's been given to me. When I call out to him in faith. You see, Jesus suffered and died to take the the penalty for, for our sin upon himself. He was buried and he came back to life. How can you be on God's team, turn from your sin, and call out to Jesus in faith? And God says he will save you and he will never, ever let you go.
There'll be no pink slips if you're on God's team. You'll never have to be told to walk. No, he'll always, always, always hold you. In the days when you're winning and in the days when you're losing, you'll always be his. Join me in prayer.